Hello and welcome to the New North Podcast, where we investigate the unique sounds and perspectives of exploratory musicians. My name is Joe O'Connor and I'm a member of New North's Artistic Committee, along with Andy Butler and Callum Gaffrere. New North is a platform for musicians who push boundaries in their areas of practice. This podcast is a companion to our concert series, which celebrates the amazing work of musicians and sound artists, both established and emerging, who make and present work on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Head to newnorthmusic.online for information about upcoming events, links to recordings from previous concerts, and information about our Emerging Artists Commission. You can like New North on Facebook and follow new underscore north underscore music on Instagram for regular updates about activities, including our upcoming concert, Foreign Intimate, which is at Brunswick Mechanics Institute on Wednesday, April 27th at 7.30pm. My guest today is a musician whose work moves fluidly between different approaches, including composition, improvisation and installation, with a particular focus on tuning systems and site-specific work. I'm very happy to welcome Jasmine Wingian Leal to the podcast. Thanks for joining me, Jasmine, to talk about your recent performance at New North's Resonant Threads concert. Your performance combined a really uh, distinctive approach of Ahu playing and sign tone textures generated using Max MSP, and that was calibrated specifically to create a particular effect in the space. Um, there's a lot to unpack with this, I reckon, so we'll, we'll talk about the particular work a little later on, but to start with, um, I'd like to hear a little bit about your earlier music experiences. Um, so, what were some of your early introductions to music? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I guess my early experiences were, I guess, in primary school I played piano, and in Queensland they have this amazing system with the state schools, mm-hmm. so I also learned violin and flute and percussion and just basically any instrument I could Amazing. get my hands on and um, yeah and then when I was 15 I moved to a like a music centric school mm-hmm. um, so I could do more music because I'm from a small country town oh right was that, was that the one at Calvin Grove yeah that's the one yeah, I have a few <laughs> friends uh, who went there oh really yeah, yeah. Um, no that, it was really great to suddenly have access to a lot of things that I didn't mm. previously and then yeah I guess those are my <laughs> earliest music experience but very much rooted in like the classical sure music tradition yeah um and um and I suppose like looking at the type of music you make now you know you're you're working with um a traditional Chinese instrument and kind of your, your practice is blending work which is compositional and improvised and um yeah I'm, I'm curious how you would describe your current practice and, and how those roles interact with each other. So I think I don't really feel aligned to either being like a composer or a performer or improviser. It's kind mm. of more just like, okay, what do I need to do to make this musical idea mm. happen? And if that's, okay, I want to have lots of strings playing, well, then maybe I should write something on a piece of paper and I guess that is sure. composing yeah. and then if I also want to get work done I often have to play it myself so then yes, that's performing yeah. and improvising is somewhere in between the two for sure yeah, yeah. and your question about the traditional instrument mm-hmm. I guess that actually I should have mentioned it earlier with mm-hmm. early music experiences yeah. I actually didn't get my hands on a 
afu or a huqin instrument until I was 14. Right. Um, and that was when I took a trip to Hong Kong to visit uh-huh. some family. And my uncle is a very good Cantonese opera musician. Mm-hmm. And he gave me one then and taught me a few tunes. And mm-hmm. then um, I always just had it like in the background, but never formally studied until I was... 19 and I returned to Hong Kong by myself for some time and I got lessons and I was also recovering from a performance injury because right. I was doing a lot of piano playing uh-huh. at that time and I was <laughs> banned from playing my left hand uh, on the piano for uh, a few months so I took up this instrument instead which yeah. is much more suited I think to what I was interested in musically at the time sure. and also like <laughs> just like physically have quite small hands right um, right i i wonder how you know being a pianist myself i've had occasional minor sort of performance injuries you yeah. know kind of rsi in the wrists and yeah. things and um and often it's playing music with just these kind of crazy stretches in the left hand and you know like you can manage so many of them with technical mm. stuff you know but but sometimes you just have to play a ninth or something like that, yeah you know? and i just I, I couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the time I started playing that instrument. And at that time I was, you know, only 19, 20, and I wasn't really thinking about, oh, how will this relate to my practice? I don't yeah. think I really had a practice. It was just yes. something I was interested yeah. it's, in. Yeah, it's funny how those things can happen fortuitously, uh, fortuitously though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? um, and I know what you mean. At, like, at that age, I think I was much less concerned about creating art than just being basically competent yeah yeah, I just wanted to learn everything I could get my hands on so yeah yeah that really started so when I went back to Hong Kong when I was 19 and I hung out with my uncle a lot I got to sit in on a lot of like Cantonese opera rehearsals and just play with people get lessons I got because before I just had not an ahu but a Mm -hmm. yahu which is made from coconut it's more like a local instrument to that region um, and then when I went back on this trip, I got a proper ahu, proper, a more yeah. <laughs> classical instrument. Sure. And yeah, started practicing then. And then basically since then, up until COVID, I've returned to Hong Kong every year to get mm. lessons All right. and just be exposed to that music. I also had one teacher in Brisbane when I was doing my undergrad degree, but he has since returned to China. But it's quite oh. difficult to find good teachers Right. In Australia, so, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that's the case for, for many of those um, instruments, you know. Mm. Um, I thought I'd just return to something you mentioned um, about, you know, that, that idea of the roles, composer, improviser, performer, um, being things that just kind of blend together in the process of choosing what you need it is to, to realise music. And, and I think, you know, um, obviously it's uh, unfolding into kind of categorizing things as I'm asking that question, but I think it's actually really important sometimes to um, critique what those roles actually are and if they are meaningful, you know, mm-hmm. um, particularly because there's so much history of, of different levels of kind of um, legitimacy or power being being um, ascribed to those different roles, you know, um, particularly in institutions, I think sometimes composition is kind of considered the, the apex, you know, and improvisation is kind of like, um, uh, I don't know, a less, uh, <laughs> a, a, a less I think legitimate, I know what you mean. You know, you yeah. know what I mean? I, um, it's, it's a little bit more subversive and harder to classify and, 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 a, um, and 
I think that's becoming less and less the case, though, you know. Um, so many amazing musicians who are just, um, you know, doing things in all of those different worlds. Um, yeah. And you're one of them, you know. Um, Thank you. So, um, yeah. Oh, on. yeah, I was going to say, no, I totally agree. Like, I think it's also very problematic, given saying, mm. I'm the composer of this piece, when actually I yeah. just facilitated a bunch of people to get together. Like, that's a very different yeah. thing. Yeah, and and yeah. and it's sort of, you know, it's problematic in um, jazz as well. It's problematic mm -hmm. in, um, um, yeah, in in a, in a lot of circumstances. He, he, there are even composers like someone who comes to mind is Richard Barrett, who writes those um, yeah. codex pieces, which are amazing kind of frameworks for some some of them in, involving more kind of improvised stuff. But but they rely so much on the performer. Exactly, so, you know. Yeah. Um, and so much material is, is um, supplied by performers, also in graphic scores, you know, things like that. Yeah. But if you go to a classical concert where one of those pieces are being performed, it'll say such and such a work by this person. And it's, it is really, you know, it's problematic. Mm, definitely. Um, uh, and and I, I um, years ago, remember having discussions with, um, I had a trio for quite a few years with James McLean, who's an amazing drummer, um, who also performed at New North, the concert, before you, um, doing solo stuff, but um, he uh, he gave me a bit of crap at one point for having these very sort of designed piano and bass parts, and then just bringing in them and saying, "Hey, do what you do," you know, with the drums. Um, and he was sort of saying, "You know, I'm essentially writing your drum parts." You know, yeah. that's 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 his his stuff that he was bringing to um, to the table, and and it did get me thinking about the way that that credit is. Um, kind of given to particular musicians and and um, and sometimes it's not given to particular musicians who are actually you know really central to the way the music um, develops um, so let's talk a little bit about the specific work then that you performed uh, a few weeks ago um, I'm curious first of all how how you would describe um, that work mm, how would I describe that work um I would describe it as kind of harmonic exploration and almost like a like just a way of listening mm -hmm. at the beginning I think I really wanted to be restrained in the materials that I was giving I was also conscious of like um, oh, it's a solo performance and um, with my instrument I have two strings but harmonically I'm interested in like things of, with bigger structures and bigger interactions and um, there's only so much I can achieve if it's just myself playing as opposed to as I was saying before this like thing of performer versus mm. composer um, and I was thinking more I think compositionally and mm. so needing a way to express my harmonic ideas that wasn't limited to my instrument and that's sure. why and, that, and that's where the sign tone yeah i think in the last two years i've been really interested in like site-specific harmony mm. and exploring um like just intonation and just how how it can <laughs> just how like sounds can be heard differently in different spaces and also just how 
when when we like tune our instruments or play with intonation as at the forefront of what it is like not not so interested in rhythm not so mm. interested in gesture or sure. even structure but just sure. these ideas of the like tiny sounds and their interactions and then opening our ears to hearing what shapes and you know mm. um yeah what, what they create i think that's yeah, what I feel more mm. interested in playing. Yeah, and and I know what you mean about um, you know the the type of um, the type of space and speed that a piece unfolds at has I think great deal of impact on how much you're going to attune yourself to those little details. So with a, a piece like yours, you know that when I think about the opening texture, there was this sort of very, um, like you say, restrained beginning the sine tone just kind of crept in, a very low one to start with, and then as more tones were introduced, there was an, uh, an interaction with them, you know, kind of uh, different beating patterns and, and things like that. Um, and I think if a, a piece was incredibly active, you know, a lot of those details, they just, they'd slip under your kind of consciousness, I think. Um, so, um, Tell me about how you, you, you mentioned making this work in a way that's quite site-specific. How does that actually play out? What process do you use for that? Oh, it was pretty simple, and I'm just interested in, like, room resonances. Obviously, that room wasn't so resonant, but I thought, well, if I'm going to be sharing these, like, harmonies, why go off? I don't know. what. I feel like there's a lot of assumptions in tuning, you know, we're going to go... I mean, there's a whole 440 debate that we won't go <laughs> into. Sure, sure. But I think maybe it's an interesting starting point to think of what's the resonant frequencies of the space that we're in and mm. then presenting those harmonies and their interactions um, as just like a starting point and then tuning my instrument to the space, which is what I <laughs> did do, sure, and sure. then playing with that. Because then it's like situating... It's already quite strange, I think, to be like, okay, solo alu here, what is the space, what am I doing? And then to have like, okay, now this is the sound. It's maybe like articulating the hidden sound or something. Like sure. it's not something that you would hear in that space, but I'm yeah. showing it. So I took, I have this little laser machine, Yosh mm. from Bunnings, that you can yeah. measure the precise like depth, width, mm. length, yeah. and then the temperature that day for that evening mm. and then I have this little Excel spreadsheet that I have that then generates the axial modes and then I also sure. so, so that's like particular frequencies that are going to have a speaking length that yeah yeah is the same as that space or, or multiple I suppose yeah, yeah yeah and then you just multiply it until you can get it to like a like frequency that you'd be able to here, yeah, yes. and then yeah. in addition to that, I also calculated like the sum and difference tones. So if you were hearing okay. the length resonance as well as the depth resonance, mm -hmm. and then I also calculated what the interaction of those two yeah, the interference would be. points. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 very cool. And is and is that something that you would then experience as that kind of beating of tones? Or, yeah, 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 almost like a wavering effect sometimes. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. The, the tuning thing is, is really interesting. Um, 
after we've got a, a bit of hammer. This is, this is turning into a bit of a, 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 <laughs> a performance between yeah. voice, voice hammer and circular saw, which we <laughs> cut out a, a bit of a minute ago. Um, so um, it is interesting, I think, that tuning is something that um, until like a pretty high level of musical education, you never actually hear anything about. It's like the piano is in tune, the tune is in tune. Um, and anything else is kind of wrong, but but even um, tempered tuning, is um, it's a series of compromises. You know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not the natural tuning, and and so I suppose just intonation really is is reclaiming that sort of um, you know tuning built from natural yeah. uh, resonances as well. And yeah, I feel like even though what you say like oh it's something that isn't really talked about in mm. higher education until really down the line, and mm. it's a lot of the conversation about tuning is based on a lot of assumptions and mm. history. But I think it's something that instinctively a lot of musicians are already aware of, especially string musicians, yes, because yeah. I play violin. Yeah, tuning, and tuning thirds and yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, you Stretching kind of, them there. Or even just like when the whole orchestra tunes and you realize, mm. oh wait, we're just listening. And if you play like the two strings on the violin, tune them to a fifth, you can yeah. hear they're in tune when the beating is stable like yes it's, yeah so it's something i think that this is yeah i was always instinctively aware of from a mm. young age and quite interested in but mm. didn't really have the language sure. or the yeah. or just like it took a while until i encountered music that really worked in that realm mm. to realize oh no this is a legitimate yeah. way of thinking yes. about sound yeah. it's not it's not an adjustment that's used to just bring out the greatest resonance in a written piece of music mm. is actually central to the concept itself. Exactly, you know? yeah. And, and I think that's actually something that's been lost a little bit, you know, like e- even with that music that you'd be playing in a classical orchestra, um, the um, even in the, the sort of period of um, tempered tuning, um, the, the approach to that temperament is something that didn't really get standardised, I think, until kind of early to mid 19th century, you know, mm-hmm. so, so we probably think of the well-tempered clavier as being like equal temperament, but not in the way that we understand it now. You know, different keys used to have much more variation in terms of their level of brightness or their level of darkness. And, and there was systems based around the different qualities that, that came from the resonance of, of these particular tuning systems mm, you know? for sure even Mozart some of there's some writings by Leopold Mozart as mm. well that are quite interested in all of this and I think yeah. it was Wolfgang Mozart who said like oh I really want to avoid using two flutes because right. they create if they play slightly out of tune you can hear that that the the sum tone really ah, quite clearly so yeah. I think yeah, the, I mean, these are new problems, but it's no. just something that's been, like, just accepted as a compromise yes. for a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, and, and, and some of the music that's coming out of these kind of more deliberate explorations of that tuning is beautiful, you know, it's amazing. Mm. Um, so, um, are there particular artists who've inspired this way of working, this kind of more site-specific approach? Uh, yes. Um... Well, I think I have a few sources from where I'm interested in this. So one thing is just listening. My boyfriend does a lot of field recording, and so I've spent a lot of time just 
by a lake, <laughs> trying sure. to get the recording of these frogs, and then you, you realise, like, oh, after you've been there for, like, an hour or two, or even three, um, my, just, just trying to get this nice long recording, and just listening, and being really quiet, you could actually hear, I could find myself, like, um, relating to the environment quite differently. Yeah. After having gone through the painful, well, initially it's like learning any new skill, like that initial process of pushing through, um, and then opening up to what you can hear. And then, as well as that, I did some study with Robin Minard in mm -hmm. Weimar, and he does a lot of sound art installations that are, yeah, that really do these things where you're articulating unusual spaces, so like foyers or libraries, sure. and just talking with him and about his practice satisfied yeah. me a lot, and what else, I was lucky to be, yeah, to have some lessons with Mark Sabat, mm -hmm. um, who, who works heavily in like the field of extended just intonation, and just having access to his research, um, to, yeah, just ha how to compose with these sounds, or mm. how to, how to, how to put these ideas onto paper so that people can play it and understand right. it. And it's been really helpful. Yeah, those are the some yeah, of the. <laughs> I mean, and I, and I'm not familiar with with um, uh, with those last two people you mentioned okay. as well. So that's you know that that's some homework for me to go and <laughs> sure. Have, have yeah. I mean, I was really lucky to spend some time in Europe after I finished my undergraduate degrees and just talk with people and be exposed to some ideas that I hadn't heard of mm. before so mm. yeah sure. <laughs> um so kind of revisiting that that sign tone texture I know um some people do find um music that's built from sign tones to be quite austere you know um and and I suppose the reason for that is that those are very pure sounds and um, most sounds that we make on instruments aren't pure, you know, they're sort of full of all sorts of different information. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I think sign tones can almost feel um, unhuman in a way. And I was wondering, you know, um, is that sort of um, austerity, is that something that you kind of counterbalance with your Afi playing? Or is it something that you, you just um, try to, to reinforce? I'm not sure whether I was thinking of it in terms of uh, this is the pure sound and this is the imperfect and the, you know, because that's the other thing with intonation, you're never going to play it perfectly in tune, even if you have the best yeah, of intentions. It's true. always, it's more of a, like an approach to sound rather than the perfect execution of mm. it. Um, and that's where the sign tones come in. I think for me, it's more like, well, if it is the room resonances that I want to be articulating, then this is the sim simplest way mm. and the most transparent way sure. without bringing, like you said, this other information yes, into yeah. that. And I hope, well, in my own mind, it felt obvious that that would be the way to do it because mm. it's it shows quite simply, like, this is what the room is resonating at and through something as simple as a sign tone that actually shows the free the exact frequency mm. like if i was to play it on i don't know say i got a bunch of 
double basses to retune their strings to it. It would never, they would slightly go out of tune over yeah. the duration of 30 minutes. For sure, it's, for sure. Yeah, it yeah. wouldn't be as And, and even, you know, like a string instrument, um, the tuning does vary just a little bit, you know, mm. if you if you pluck it even, you know. Yeah, or a, the stage a lights a... are really warm. True, <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. totally, yeah. 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 Um, so I, I suppose, you know, there, there is this meeting, though, of, um, of, of that sign tone texture. And also, um, when you did play the Yahoo, it, was, it, it came across to me you know, um, as kind of more of a gestural and expressive um, language. Is that something that, that you um, are interested in? Like that kind of mix of this very kind of conceptual approach, you know, this, this kind of working with the room resonance, and then um, something which is... Um, yeah, more of a kind of a gestural or expressive language. Yeah, a little bit. I think in the future I'd like to work towards more on the austere <laughs> approach. Sure, sure. Um, maybe that's not the right word for it. I think it's still quite personal, but I also think mm. like it's important to either. I mean, anyone could just be like, "Oh, I've calculated what the room sounds like," but it's like, well, "Okay, what does that?" mean without context and I think sure. playing the Ahu yeah. is what gave it context like I also tuned the Ahu to those frequencies and mm. then it's like I'm playing the room with my Ahu in a way mm. and then the gestural stuff there were just sounds that I'm interested in yeah. <laughs> which I think it's okay to sometimes have this very um maybe not so like scientific approach to making music oh, because totally, it's not it's totally. not all just precise calculations yeah. it's also what you choose to do with yeah. them and I feel like maybe in free improvised music there is a lot of like language like musical language like what are the accepted sounds or gestures sure. and perhaps I was playing into what was like a safe like a safe sound world by adding the ahu um perhaps not i guess it depends i was also conscious of like some sounds that i feel like would be totally accepted in some performance context i wasn't because i'm quite new to melbourne i didn't really know anyone in the audience i was a bit like oh how do i situate my ahu in this kind of unknown space yeah Yeah. i mean hopefully it was a very open space yeah um, (laughs) certainly what we're trying to um trying to create is a space where basically anything is mm-hmm. um, is welcome and you know and hopefully something that, that people will try to engage with on its own terms you know it's, it's interesting that idea though of, I, I think you know free improvisers sometimes like to talk about themselves and think about themselves as being liberated from all of those um you know uh, tropes of style and um but like any other community you know trends develop and particular ways of doing things and certain things which which people might think are a bit like naff or like you know is that something that um that you've kind of experienced in in other places you know a sense of having to um kind of go with the flow or adhere to a particular oh for sure yeah yeah Yeah, it's interesting i think like sometimes i feel like it's the hardest thing is to restrain myself from playing too much if there's a sense that um yeah i feel like in the free book world maybe there's a certain kind of virtuosity that isn't really relevant for my own practice Mm. anymore Mm. um in terms of 
what we're playing. And I think sure. maybe that's because I can, I'm not just improvising, I'm also composing, so I don't, I don't have to show the full spectrum of what I can do sure. every time. And I yes, think yeah. being able to make the distinction, um, yeah, to be able to make, to be able to make these clear choices or something. And I don't think I fully achieved that in the new North performance. Okay. I think I did fall back into like, oh, maybe I have to prove something. Um, but I think I mostly kept it to yeah, where I wanted sure. it it's to be. It's focused. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean with some of those expectations. Though. And I think in my experience, it's only tended to be uh, later on looking back on earlier periods of my you know, performance life, um, where I see more clearly what the, the sort of unspoken rules were, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you found this kind of moving around and being in different places. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's been fascinating. Even, yeah, different cities, different countries, there's mm. quite a lot of, yeah, and it's funny because what's naff or uncool in some areas is like the standard practice sure. in other areas. Yeah, so it's, yeah. yeah it's, it's always, yeah, it's always funny. And it's, you're right, it isn't really, it's a lot of it is like an assumed language. So, yeah. 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 Which I suppose, it, you know, that is the, that is the nature of community, but um, mm. particularly, you know, if you move cities, like you say, you know, you're, you're um, getting to know a community for the first time, you probably see all of these things that other people who've been entrenched in that world for a while might not see anymore. Mm. Um, So I've got um, two last questions that I'd like to ask you. The first of those is, uh, so um, I'd like you to uh, imagine you were sitting at Brunswick Mechanics um, watching your own show. I'd like you to describe how you think you would experience the performance. That's a tricky question. <laughs> yeah, everyone finds it tricky. I'm glad I haven't had to answer it <laughs> myself. Oh, okay. Um, well, what I would hope for is that by going onto the stage and holding this instrument, that by starting with just the sign tones and for quite a long time and not playing my abu until mm. the final bit, that I was able to maybe get rid of any... I feel like there's maybe like a... Um, just to like open up the ideas into just listening rather than thinking, okay, what can this instrument do? Mm. And just more like, okay, what is this music doing? Mm-hmm. And making that distinction. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm hoping that the like if I was sitting in the audience, I would see this girl with this instrument on the stage but then what I would experience is just these pure tones for a really long time Mm -hmm. and that that would lull me into okay well this is the way that we're listening now things are moving slowly and we're talking and we're thinking about um the interactions of tones and then when I do finally play it's hopefully I will have got into a place of listening where I'm hearing the instrument for the sounds it makes rather than for the novelty of what the instrument is. Sure, yeah. And and I suppose that's something that you might be contending with more than people playing more traditional instruments where, you know, we kind of take for granted that, you know, we know what a violin sounds like or a mm-hmm. trumpet sounds like. For even sure. Though those, even though those <laughs> instruments can do so many things that, um, you know, that, that many listeners wouldn't be familiar with. 
Um, so the last thing I wanted to ask you is um, if you have any particular shows, performances, recordings um, coming up that you'd like listeners to hear about. Sure. Um, well, next week I'm going back up to Queensland um, for a two-week residency where I'll be building a sound installation. And this will be using um, a lot of a lot of small speakers and it's a site-specific residency so I'll be in this hut on the water and yeah I'll be interested in yeah making similar music using these sound tones but I'm also bringing in I guess maybe some I'm I've, yeah drawing on what you said before about being like hyper aware of placing my instrument into these contexts and mm. all the sort of assumptions that come with playing a traditional Chinese instrument um yeah I'll be yeah playing well I've got I've taken I have this huge archive of recordings I've taken of just like my family playing and singing some these folk songs and traditional songs and yeah just presenting them in a way that I haven't had the chance to before so that's happening with Metro Arts Mm. in Brisbane next week yeah Awesome. And <laughs> is there a, a, a live presentation of that or is it just Yeah, a there will be. So in the second week, so after Easter, um, mm. so yeah, third, I think it's the third week of April. Sure. Yeah, it'll be open for people to come oh, in and amazing. have a listen. Yeah. Um, and will you be performing there or is it an installation? It's an installation, yeah. yeah. Cool. It just occurred to me as you were saying that that that, that place might have been flooded recently. It mm. wasn't. Oh, that's It wasn't, good. yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was yeah, it was kind of crazy watching floods happen again in Brisbane. I know, and, uh, and then again just recently in yeah, in North New yeah, South Wales. Oh, yeah, horrible. yeah, yeah. Um, thanks so much for talking. Um, it's been a pleasure. Loved you to to learn a bit more about what was behind your performance as well. Um, and um, I look forward to uh, being able to share this chat with with everyone who's listening to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for chatting with me. My pleasure. Thanks for joining me as I talk to Jasmine about the fascinating performance she put on for New North's Resonant Threads. So much interesting information and a couple of leads I think I'm going to have to follow up for myself there. Um, Interesting music to check out. And speaking of checking things out, don't forget to like New North on Facebook and also follow us on Instagram to keep up to date with all of our activities. That's really the best place to see what's going on. That's new underscore north underscore music. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time on the New North Podcast.